Hello, and welcome again to the Five Day Reading Plan podcast. I'm Lance Ward, and I will be walking us through some highlights of this week's readings. And always remember, you can download a copy of this reading plan in the description of this podcast, or you can go straight to the source at fivedaybiblereading.com. By the way, if you listen regularly, don't forget to rate this podcast in whatever podcasting service you listen through. Well, this week we read Ezekiel 46 through 48, Daniel 1 through 12, Psalms 88 and 91, and John 16 through 20. I, it's interesting the way Ezekiel ends, isn't it? It ends with four words, the Lord is there, the name of the future city described in the last few chapters. What a great reminder again of what this entire redemption story is building up to a future place filled with the good and righteous presence of our God. Well, as I mentioned last week, I always love this time of the reading plan, the time when I get to read the prophet Daniel, so filled with lessons and stories from this man of God and his friends we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In all of the yuck of what has led up to the exile they're now in, we see in Daniel glimpses of hope in men like these, Men who serve secular masters, but who also stay devoted to the Lord. They have the respect of a pagan king we see in chapter 1, verse 19, and yet they don't cave to any of the pagan ways that surround them. And we see the main reason why. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 17, God granted them grace and kindness, as well as wisdom and understanding that exceeded everyone else's. Their uncompromising faith combined with their respectability even leads this pagan king to exalt their God, especially when Daniel is able to do what no one else can, not only interpret the king's dreams, but knowing by way of God what was in the dream. One of the most comical moments of this book is kind of subtle and easy to miss, but if you catch it, you kind of laugh out loud. It's when Nebuchadnezzar has sent the three men into the fire, and then he sees four men not burning, but walking around in the furnace. And so what he does is he says, hey, come out. Don't you find that funny? Where he had expected them to turn to ashes thrown out by his servants, he is astounded by their calm dispositions in flames and says, hey, walk out of there. If you didn't know what was going on, you might think the king had gone crazy. One of the main takeaways I have from the prophet Daniel is that we can be godly without being unbearable to worldly people, and we can live in the midst of worldliness without becoming worldly ourselves. No doubt Daniel and his companions find opposition in their faithfulness to God, but this neither sidetracks them nor brings them harm. And even when harm seems inevitable, their faith remains unshaken. Daniel draws to a close with predictions of a future which aroused Daniel's curiosity. As he receives a bit of information from God, he wants to know more, much like we would love to know exactly when Jesus will return and exactly what that will look like. But the Lord's answer to Daniel is the same answer to us. Go your way to the end. You will rest and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. This sounds a lot like Peter's words in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 14, or Jesus' words to Peter in John 20, verse 21. There are some things in God's plan that are simply none of our business. Our business is to keep following the Lord and what He has revealed to us. He will take care of the rest. 
In the Psalms, I find myself very grateful for Psalm 88. It's the only psalm that ends with no resolution and certainly fits seasons we may have experienced where all we can see is darkness with no hint of light at the end of the tunnel. It is written by a man named Heman, and from the few passages in which he is mentioned in Scripture, in David and Solomon's time, he was highly regarded, a man of wisdom and faithfulness, and yet this man suffered. Speaking of faithfulness, God's love and faithfulness are mentioned in verse 11, but only in passing and only in a question rather than a statement of praise. Then for much of the psalm, Heman vividly describes the agony of divine silence. Listen to these terms, troubles a pit, like someone in a grave, cut off from God's care, in the darkest depths, distanced from friends who find him repulsive, worn out eyes from crying, rejection, horrors, wrath, terrors. Then he ends, not with praise as most psalms end, but just with a horrifying statement. Darkness is my only companion. Paul speaks of a similar experience for himself in 2 Corinthians 1, and chances are good that you and I have either been through something like this or one day we will. And Psalm 88 gives us this assurance. When in a dark place, it is okay to acknowledge it and to be honest about it with the Lord. After all, it's his book that contains this psalm. Psalm 91, on the other hand, is filled with comforting promises for the one who hopes in the Lord. Maybe if we are ever in a Psalm 88 season, we can not only read and repeat that psalm, but maybe also read Psalm 91 alongside it, hoping and praying that one day the light will come and that our seemingly absent God will show up. He will comfort us. He will refresh us and remind us that He has always been watching over us. In John 16 through 20, you may or may not have noticed that most of John's gospel takes place in the last week of his earthly life, and a good bit of that, chapters 13 through 19, includes a span of less than 24 hours. All but one sentence of chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus, one which conveys deep and abiding love for the twelve and for even us who believe 20 centuries later. If you ever doubt the love of Jesus for you, this may be an excellent place to turn and to remember that on that awful dark night, when Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and denied, he prayed for you. And as 13 verse 1 tells us, Jesus loved his own to the end. And the same is true of those of us who trust in him now. If we trust in him, he will love us to the end. He will not give up on his sheep who belong to him and our beloved. You may have noticed, by the way, an interesting similarity between Daniel, especially chapters 4 through 6, and Jesus' conversation with Pontius Pilate. Both of these show us powerful earthly rulers, but also remind us that if our sights are set on the true king, such rulers have no legitimate power over us. We need not fear their threats or intimidation, for they will answer to one far higher than they are one day. Jesus is never afraid. He never flinches about what Pilate can do to him, nor is he terrified by the cries of the people. This was the plan all along. And to be revealed as king, he must first be put to shame. Interestingly, even Pilate tries to find some kind of way to release Jesus, but he simply cannot, not just because of the crowds, but because of God's perfect will. In Pilate's eyes, Jesus is innocent, 
a truth he really, sadly, only grasps on a surface level. One thing that has stood out to me of recent is the quiet burial of Jesus. In attendance are Joseph and Nicodemus, both secret disciples of Jesus. Where are the 11 remaining friends, though? They're nowhere to be found. They're afraid. They're hiding. We know from the other Gospels that Mary Magdalene and another Mary were also nearby, so if we count them, we can say that only four people attended Jesus' graveside service. Four. He truly did lower himself, didn't he? Born among animals, died among criminals, buried in isolation, our Savior and King Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be made low. He truly understands what it's like to be alone, despised, ignored. And in the resurrection account of John 20, you've got to love the Mary Magdalene story. Thinking she is speaking to a gardener, she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Devastated to discover that Jesus' dead body is missing, all Mary wants is that dead body back. And what she gets is a million times better. She gets instead a living Savior. Can you imagine the feeling she must have had to suddenly discover that the man standing before her was the man she'd been seeking all along? And then, as we see in verse 18, she becomes the very first gospel evangelist after the resurrection. As chapter 20 ends, John does something hardly any other author of any other book in the Bible does. He tells you exactly why he wrote this. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you have this life? Is Jesus your only hope? I hope and pray that he is. We will finish this great gospel next week and then read almost all of 1 John, 1 John 1 through 4. We will also read Ezra 1 through 4. And let me just advise you that as you're reading Ezra 1 through 4, also just read the first verse of chapter 5 because it will provide some context for two prophets we're also going to read next week, Haggai and most of Zechariah. Finally, we will look at Psalms 92, 93, and 138. So I look forward to talking to you again next week. Join me then and have a great week until then. Thanks for listening to the 5-Day Reading Plan podcast.